Hi everyone, welcome back to Seek First Podcast, where we share biblical truth and engage in today's culture. Rick Brown here. Take a minute to subscribe to Seek First Podcast. I really appreciate it. Stick around, I think you're going to be encouraged. Spending time with the Lord will be the best part of your day. So let's get ready, grab your Bible, prepare your heart and your mind. Let's roll. Hey, good evening, God Speak. Good to be with you. We're excited about getting into God's Word. We've been reading through the Anchored series, two-year Bible reading. God's Word will change your life. And we are going to take, as I'm in this new year, doing Saturday nights and one o'clock service. And there's a passage in Matthew chapter 13 I want to dig into for these two services this weekend. If you'll make your way there, if you have a Bible, we want to look at the mysteries of the kingdom of God. And Anytime you feel like you get to be in on a secret, it feels really juicy, doesn't it? Like when somebody says, you know, I have something to share with you, but you can't tell another soul. There's something about that that just thrills the inside of a human. Now, if you're on the outside of that secret, what a drag, right? You see somebody having a little secret powwow in the corner, and and you're left out of the loop. I remember in... uh, the summer of 1976, I had made the All-Stars in Little League as shortstop. And I, I had had a spectacular year. I had a great batting average of 750, which in baseball is a big deal. And, uh, but it, the average was a big deal. But uh, we were in this desert league, which wasn't very competitive. So you have to take that with a grain of salt. We played in this desert league in Arizona. And Literally, the, the, the baseball diamond that we played on, our home field, has no grass whatsoever. So all the, all the kids, their uh, knees are all torn up and they have blood stains in them, even though moms would try to <laughs> wash them as good as she could. All the kids, <laughs> it was really this kind of ghetto ball. But I was so excited. <laughs> if you can be ghetto out in the desert, I don't, I don't know how that works. But anyway, it was basically, it's more, more a little bit more like trailer trash baseball out in the desert. But um, I was stoked about getting to the, making the um, all-star team as a shortstop. And, uh, but my mom was determined, my mom was trying to, there was a free clinic, and she was going to have my tonsils taken out because every year I have terrible tonsillitis year after year. And it was two days before the all-star game. And I'm like, Mom. I got to play in the all-star game. She's no, no, this is the slot. It's only this time. It's free. We poor folk. You go when it's free. You just go get it done. I was so devastated. Like, you know, two days, three days after the fact, I go to the all-star game. I can't talk to my teammates, you know, because anybody that knows about Tony, you, you can't talk. Well, all my teammates we're over in this huddle, and I thought, well, even though I can't talk, I can, you know, walk up and smile, and they, all, all the team knew that I was, um, had my tonsils taken out, and as soon as I walked up to the group, they all just looked at me startled, and then they left, and they went to the other side of the, the bleachers. All right. Like, what's, these are my friends, right? We're playing ball together, and so I thought, I thought I must have understood the situation. So I walked to the other side of the bleachers and I put my face in there and they looked at me startled and then they, they left again. I'm like, oh, I didn't make a mistake the first time. They don't want anything to do with me. Now I'm already devastated because I couldn't play in the all-star game. And I go sit down on the bleachers and I just, you know, 
I'm going to, I'm just, I'm so depressed. <laughs> I had just finished the fifth grade. And now my friends seem to, like, I guess once you get tonsil, <laughs> your tonsils taken out, you don't have friends anymore. I didn't know what was going on. But what I didn't know, after the game, all, the whole team came up to me. Every time I interrupted their meeting, they were signing a special game ball just for me. So I was like busting the, the surprise. And so at the end of the game, they presented it. You, man, my smile almost broke my face. Because I felt like I was being left out of something. That These are my friends. This is my relationships. And I was on the outside. Well, Jesus takes his friends aside, the 12 apostles, and he teaches generally to people, but then he withdraws. And he's going to now download to them the mysteries of the kingdom of God. This is the secret revelation that has never been known and cannot be known to man apart from the revelation of the Spirit of God to man. But as this revelation comes, your responsiveness to the revelation is the key to how your life and its trajectory turns out. Now, there are eight parables in one chapter. Somebody has said a preacher should never preach the parables until he's been preaching for 30 years because preachers make such a mess of the parables. So I've been pre preaching now for 33 years, so I qualify because no doubt in my early years, though I can't really remember, I've uh, uh, maybe met a, made a mess of things. Hey, stand with me. We're going to read, starting in verse 1 of chapter 13, as we look at our message tonight, the mysteries of the kingdom. On the same day, Jesus went out of the, his house, of the house, and sat by the sea. And great multitudes were gathered together to him, so that he got into a boat and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. Then he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. Some fell on stony places, where they did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up, because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away." Some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Lord, we pray that as you have shared your word with us, that we would have ears to hear what your spirit is speaking to each one of us. In the unique way that you want to communicate with every heart here tonight, Lord, that you would do what you desire to do through the supernatural work and the revelation of the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. We see these eight parables. They're listed, the sower the wheat and tares, the mustard seed, the leaven, the hidden treasure, the pearl of great price, the dragnet, and the homeowner. Now, we're only going to look at the sower tonight. I'm going to do the other seven at the one o'clock service because a bulk of what Jesus uh, unpacks here in this first parable is really why and how we respond to these parables is so crucial, and it's a large portion of Scripture. So when we see that the, the sower, it's a 
typical agrarian society picture. Everybody would see it. Like if you grew up around farm ground or you just even drive down into this area uh, in the fields down by Camarillo, obviously they have big equipment. But back in the day, the sower would just have a bag of seed. They prepared the soil and they're sowing the seed. And in this passage of scripture, there are four types of soil that the seed lands on. And only one of them is going to be fruitful, which we're going to discover that the, Jesus is the sower, or anybody that sows seed, and only one out of four is going to respond favorably to the message of the Word of God. And that's a little startling, isn't it? About 25% of those who will hear the gospel message will respond, or even here this weekend, this weekend we'll have 14, 1,500 people at church, and only 25% might be willing to yield to the message that they hear, because you see, it's not just about salvation, it's all through my Christian life how I'm responding to the word of God that is sown in my heart. Did I show up at church tonight with a hard heart? Did I show up at church tonight with a crowded heart? There's no room. You're just so distracted in your mind. You, you can't even really participate in a fruitful way. Is it that there's a shallowness to your life that a little persecution will just nudge you right away from the truth of God's word? You see, at every phase in your life, you're responding daily to the word of God. If you're reading it, if you're hearing it, if you're listening to it, that's why we see people that are uh, sometimes in a family. There might be a wife that's on fire for the Lord, and whatever she reads, she wants to respond to, and there's a growth in her life. But the husband's saved, but, you know, not so much. He doesn't really want to read the Word. You know, I'm saved. I got fire insurance. I'm not going to hell. I'm going to be with Jesus. It's all good. But what you don't realize is that the abundant life that Jesus promised is predicated on your responsiveness to what he has to say and how you respond and you yield and you uh, operate in that. Now, we read the parable of the sower, but this scene, if you can picture it in your mind, especially those who are going to be going to Israel in April, it's, it's quite epic. There's multitudes that are coming to hear Jesus, and Jesus gets in a boat, and he pushes away. And if you've ever had that experience that the water is a natural amplifier, he gets away from the crowd, they're all on the shore, and he's teaching them this parable. And he declared this parable. And we're going to have the interpretation of it in just a moment. But the disciples, when they heard it, if you just heard that message, you would be go, what's that all about, right? What's that mean? And I love the disciples, honestly, when you don't get God's word and you press in and say, Lord, I, I want to know what this means. The spirit of the Lord, and in this case, the, the son of God is going to teach them what it means. In verse 10, we have the reality that parables reveal truth to those who want to hear truth. And we see that parables hide truth from those who don't want to hear truth. Now, this is a mysterious thing, right? Not so much as we talk and dig into it a little bit more. Look at verse 10. The disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? That's a good question. Parable literally means to cast down or lay something alongside another thing that's in comparison to convey truth. Might, we might say it's an illustration, it's an allegory, whatever it might be. But they're asking, why are you teaching in this manner? And he says, he answered and said to them in verse 11, because it has been given to you, the disciples, because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. 
They say, wait a second. I, I thought you were coming to save all people. I thought you wanted to communicate your word with all people. That's true. But to the disciples, he tells them that they, it has been given to them to know the mysteries of the kingdom. Now, would you like your name attached to that verse? That it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. Now, it's easy to basically evaluate if you are in that category. You go, well, for heaven's sakes, I came to church on a Saturday night. You know, really, that doesn't mean much. You could be drug here. Hopefully nobody literally drugged you, but I mean, you know, you're a, you're a teenager, your parents drag you in the door and you can't wait to get out. You just, you know, tune out. Many people come to church as a, a ritual and then they just tune out. They don't listen. They're, you know, they're a teenager. They're, you know, trying to text on their phone and so nobody can see. They'll wear a ball cap. Guys that are too cool for school, they got their ball cap smashed down on their face. So they just, they, everything about their body language says, I do not want to be here. And sometimes a spouse has that same look on their face. One of them is all the eager beaver and the other one's like, oh, is that what it takes to make this relationship work? This is a drag. So just like going into McDonald's doesn't make you a Big Mac, coming to church is not that impressive, right? It doesn't make you a Christian. But to these guys, it has been given to them to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to them it has not been. So what's the difference? In verse 12 he tells us, For whoever has, to him more will be given. And he will have abundance, but whoever does not have, even what he has, will be taken away from him. Now, this is a concept and a principle that is built out throughout God's word and also throughout natural law in our life, right? So if you're given something and you practice it, you're going to do what? You're going to get better at it or have more of it. Your muscle, if, if you don't use your muscle, your muscle atrophies. Like, whatever you don't use, you lose. I... I broke my leg and I was in a body cast for six weeks and then another cast for another six weeks. And so when the, the doc took off my cast after three months, my knee was this big knob and all the atrophy, all my muscles were just, basically it was just skin and bone. It, it looked like the most deformed <laughs> limb you've ever seen in your life. But the knee, which, cause I broke my femur right above my knee, was still uh, black and blue even three months after the fact and swollen with water around it where the, the break happened. And the doc told me, he, he's cutting off the cast at the second cast, was from my hip to my uh, ankle, and he's cutting it off. And so he pries it apart, and he, he's turning around to put it on the table behind him. But he's talking, he says, now whatever you do, don't jump off the table. And before he could even finish his sentence, I was so excited to stand on my normal leg without a cast. In mid-sentence, he's, before you do, don't do this, and I fell on the floor. He turned around and he said, I said don't do that. Because <laughs> I, I went to stand on my leg, but there's absolutely no strength in my leg. And I went to the ground, and it, it, it hurt like the Dickens as well, because I just thought somehow, I mean, you can't be in a cast for three months and not get better. Some people, their life is in a cast. And they're not exercising their faith muscles when they hear God's word responding to God's word. And though they might be a Christian, their life is atrophied. Because this is the principle by, by which God 
deals with his people. When you hear something from God, do it, and he'll give you more. Hear something from God and don't do it, God just steps back and says, well, let's wait till you do something with what I already told you. Ten years goes by. Well, you haven't done anything with what I've told you. And people come and they hear God's word or they read God's word and they listen to a message on the radio. They have a podcast. And just hearing God's word is not the same as obeying God's word. And this is what people don't get. Because if you are faithful with little, God will give you more. And this is true with Revelation. The more, when you get Revelation from God and you step into it and you just do it with a childlike faith, then he gives you more Revelation. Don't you see? Can you imagine going to your work, your first day of work? You go there and you got a manager. They're a mentor. They're going to train you how to do your new job. But imagine you showed up every day and everything they showed you yesterday, you came in and you totally forgot and did not do. It's like Groundhog Day over and over and over. You just, they're like, well, we should be progressing by now. You should be learning this much and uh, achieving these things. But if you don't do what you're instructed, you go to the music teacher, right? The music teacher, when you want to learn guitar, he gives you your scales. So you start playing your scales. And he goes, now play every day for 30 minutes and come back next week and we'll see how you're progressing. If you don't practice, you're wasting your money on lessons. Because every week, every week, he come, he, when you play for him, he looks at you and says, you didn't practice. How can he tell you didn't practice? Because you can't do it right. The Christian life is just like that, and so is every other area of life. So when the revelation comes, why do these guys get to be and discover the secrets, the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. Because when the Lord said, come follow me, they didn't say, uh, I don't think so. They said, come, he said, come follow me. They said, okay. Which I like faith, okay. And they followed him. When he told them to do things, they said, okay, I'm gonna do that. Do you remember your early Christian life when you discovered truths from the mystery of God's word that you never knew before and you just started doing them? And then watched as you begin to spiritually progress. I remember the first verse I memorized and the one that changed my life and has been my life verse ever since was Matthew 6.33. I was stressed out about some things. I was going through Matthew chapter six, which if you're stressed out about things, you wanna read Matthew chapter six because the Lord says he's gonna feed you, he's gonna clothe you, he takes care of the birds, they're not stressed out. You ever seen a stressed out sparrow? Absolutely not. They're out there, chirp, 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 chirp. He's just feeding them like crazy. They're just, even the, even the buzzards out there eating roadkill, they're not, they're, they're not disturbed. God's feeding them, he's taking care of them. The flowers aren't freaked out that they're not gonna be clothed. Oh no, we're naked. No, they're clothed with beautiful you know, clothing, so to speak. And the Lord says, if you will seek first my kingdom and my righteousness, everything else, Rick, is gonna be added unto you. And that verse was the most mind-blowing verse to me. In that moment, the Lord just exploded in my heart with revelation. If I will just seek what seek God and do what's right from his perspective, I don't have to sweat all this other stuff. I only have one job really to do. Seek him. Find out what's right from his perspective, not from the world's perspective, not from my friend's perspective, not from anybody else's perspective, but from his perspective. And when I do it, he's gonna take care of everything else. It's like, 
say, what? Can life be that simple? Absolutely. Only if you receive that revelation and apply that revelation to your soul. And then he gives you more revelation. I remember reading the story of Abraham, and Abraham gave a tithe to Melchizedek, and it's this picture of worship in the Old Testament of Abraham meeting the Lord Jesus and him giving the tithe, the 10%. And I thought, that's so cool. I'm a construction worker. I had no, I, see, I knew absolutely, when I, came, I got saved at 19, I knew nothing about the Bible. So all of this is divine, supernatural, mysterious revelation to me, because I knew none of it. And I said, I, I'm going to do that. I'm going to just start giving the Lord 10%. I didn't even really, because I wasn't even in a church, I didn't realize people tithe or gave 10%. And it wasn't in the law. Or it wasn't something. I was just like, Abraham's this guy of faith, and <laughs> I want to do that. I just started doing it. And just the Lord says, this is one thing you can test him in in Malachi. Test me in this. See, if you, if you give to me, if I don't open the very windows of heaven and pour out such a blessing, you can't even contain it. And my life just started getting blessed all the time. And I had some friends that were starting to get really envious and jealous. And they're like, man, if you trip and fall on your face, it's like you're stumbling over gold. How come you're just so blessed? So blessed. And I said, I don't know, it's just God's goodness. You know, I just, I told the Lord, and by then I, I discovered that, you know, if you give to God's work, he'll, I realized God can bless me more with, if I only have 90% and I give him 10%, and I've lived my whole life that way. At every turn, I just get these super cool hookups that God blesses me. Is it because I'm super smart? Absolutely not. Ask my wife. <laughs> Am I like this canny, you know, slick business? Absolutely not. I'm like this childlike faith, like the Lord said this. Doop, 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 doop. I believe it. I applied it. God did this revelation. He's telling these disciples this, that this is what's available to you. Now, you said, the most of you, when he said, come follow me, you're following him. And you are now hearing the secrets to the kingdom. And the more that you hear God's word, when you hear the revelation of God's word, hey, you're it's your job to train up your child in the way they should go. It's not somebody else's job. It's not the teacher down the street. It's not the Sunday school teacher. It's not the youth worker. It's your job. And you go, oh, this is revelation. I'm going to apply that. And you watch what happens. At every turn, as you discover God speaking to you, apply it, and you will watch the addition of revelation that transforms your life, and you will move into what Jesus said, I have come that you may have life and that more abundantly. The promised land was a land that God had promised flowing with milk and honey. And the promised land of the Christian life is when I hear God's promises and I do God's promises, my life overflows with the milk and honey of the goodness of God. Doesn't mean you're not going to have trials. Doesn't mean you're not going to have difficulties. I'm not saying that. Doesn't mean you won't get persecuted. I'm just saying that you are now tapped in to the greatest mystery this world has ever seen. And you can be a part of it. So the question is, do you want to be a part of that? Do you want to step into that? Do you want to live the mediocre Christian life? Or do you want to excel and accelerate? That's why some Christians rocket into their three years, man, they're already teaching a home Bible study because everything they're learning. I've discovered some of you, how many of you got saved when you were older? Raise your hand, okay. I've discovered that those who get saved older, it's just like, oh no, oh no, I've lost, I've lost half my life, I gotta hurry up, right? right? They, they're, they're on the fast track to getting into God's word because they feel like they've lost half of their life. And it's a beautiful thing and they can accelerate quite quickly. Now. If that's true, 
of those who hear God's word and respond positively, he's going to give more and more and more and more truth and revelation to you. Well, it's also true for people that want nothing to do with God's truth. And maybe this is for you here tonight. Maybe you haven't went to sleep yet. I know it's a little dark in here on a Saturday night. And maybe this is what it looks like for you. The parables also hide truth. In verse 13, therefore I speak to them in parables because seeing they do not see, hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled which says, hearing you will hear and shall not understand, seeing you will see and not perceive, for the hearts of his people have grown dull. This, their ears are hard of hearing and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn, so that I should heal them. It's hard to top William Barclay's statement about this passage. William Barclay says this, the parable conceals truth from those who are either too lazy to think or too blinded by prejudice to see. It puts the responsibility fairly and squarely on the individual. It reveals truth to him who desires truth. It conceals truth from him who does not wish to see the truth. Some people just don't want to work or press in or give the effort or the attention to these things in this regard. But uh, others, their own prejudices, I'll share a passage. A few weeks ago, I was sharing a passage of scripture and, and someone got up and stormed out and took their children out of the uh, children's ministry and stormed away because I was sharing the biblical view, the worldview of human sexuality between God's plan and design between a man and a woman in the covenant of marriage. And I was saying what was not God's plan, which was pre pretty much every other thing around that topic. And they were so torqued off about hearing this message that they got out and they stormed out of the church. Now this happens, it has happened to me over the 30 years. People don't like something and they'll jump up and just get out because they, they just don't wanna hear that message. They don't wanna hear that passage of scripture. And you're gonna experience things like this because there are people that just do not want to hear. There will be people that hear this message, whether here tonight or online or in the future when they get online, and they'll say, well, I just don't believe this, and I don't believe that, and I don't believe this. And they're simply contradicting exactly or challenging what God's word says. And somewhere along the line, if you really want to discover the incredible truth, you know, one of my favorite verses in the Gospel of John that pertain to this subject is John 7, 17. It's easy to remember because it's 7, 17. And Jesus says this, he says, if anyone will, wills to do my word, he will know if that doctrine is from God. What is he saying? He's saying, if you apply God, if I tell you something from God's word and you simply do it, you'll know, well, that works and that's God. And that's how Jesus said, just put it to the test. Just will to do God's word and watch what happens. But there are people that say, no, I reject God's word. I want nothing to do with God's word. I don't want to hear your message. And somewhere along the line, you have to realize if you're going to have any kind of spiritual life whatsoever, is those two great truths in the universe. 
there is a God and you're not him. You and I have about three to three and a half pounds of gray matter between our ears of brains. And the scriptures declare and reveal from the Bible that God is all-knowing. Do you know that there's several things that God cannot do? Did you know that? That God cannot do. God cannot lie. But did you know that God cannot learn because he knows everything? Now, how would that be? Now, I know I come close some days, but, right? Now, how far from the truth could that be? God knows everything, and you, this little, you know, it reminds me, of, we have some gray hair tonight, so I'll use this illustration. But one of my favorite con, uh, con, uh, cartoons growing up was Foghorn Leghorn, the chicken. Right? I, I, say, I, say, I say boy. And there's this little bitty chicken hawk, and he's like, I'm a, you're a chicken, and I'm a chicken hawk. He's about this big. He's like, oh boy, what are you going to do about it? It's like, your humanness, your hubris, your, your arrogance, your pride against God that you think in any given subject that your opinion that is contrary to his is better is absolutely hilarious. That you got a better plan than God. It's, it's funny. But to you, you're serious about it. No, I, if I was God, how many times people say this? If I was God, Man, you're not only so far from being God, but you're pretty low on the food chain of humanity itself, let alone exalted to the top, okay? So now we look at this special privilege that these apostles are having. And what a special privilege, Jesus says in verse 16 and 17. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For assuredly, I say to you, that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. The apostles were getting the skinny on something that humanity had been longing for for 4,000 years to that point. And you and I are getting the skinny anytime we read God's word into supernatural revelation that the world does not know apart from God's revelation of himself and how he works and interacts with humanity. So now he's going to interpret or translate or give them the meaning behind the parable. These four types of soils, every one of us in this room can be any one of these four types of soils. Not only does it point to a work of salvation, but it's also uh, about sanctification, the process of growing in our, our walk with the Lord. At any given time, I can have the hard heart, the shallow heart, the crowded heart, or the responsive heart. Let's take a little heart test tonight. Let's see the EKG of your heart and your soul here tonight and evaluate from Jesus's perspective where you're at. It tells us in verse 18, we see the wayside or the hard heart. Therefore, hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who receives seed by the wayside. Farmer's going out, he's throwing seed around, it's a packed pathway, and the seed can't penetrate because the earth is not soft. In the, in the picture that he told at the beginning, birds of the air come and they snatch the seed away. And you'll see birds that follow farmers when they're, they're uh, 
have seed out and they're, they're eating any of the seed that's exposed on the surface. And here he tells us that the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown into the heart so that it cannot penetrate. So when you walk away from things going, I, I don't understand what God's saying. I don't know what's going on. I don't believe that stuff. And this is the way I was. My, my grandparents and my, my dad began to take me to church every now and then when I was a kid. And I would always leave church with, I don't get this mumbo jumbo. I mean, I really don't understand the Christian life. It has something to do with Jesus on the cross and the Bible. I, I don't get it. And the, the devil is stealing the word of God from your heart because it's not penetrating. You don't get it. Even here tonight, everything I've said up to this point, you might be sitting there like, I really don't get it. I don't connect with it. I don't understand it. It's like, man, the devil's just ripping you off. You just, he just snatches the word of God away because the devil knows that anytime that you hear God's word, understand God's word, and apply God's word, his grip on you is broken loose because the truth of God will set you free, right? So anything, the devil wants to pervert God's word, he wants to twist God's word, he wants to steal God's word, anything but you believing and trusting God's word. That's why the very first interaction with a human being with Satan was about the word of God. He came to Eve and he challenged, he cast doubt to Eve about God's trustworthiness and about the word. He said, has God said, you won't die. No, but the day that you eat of it, he twisted and perverted and smeared God's character so that she goes, huh, God's holding out on me. Oh, it's not true. And so she takes and eats of the fruit she's not supposed to. So the devil wants to snatch away God's word and he wants to twist and pervert and deceive you because that truth, if you believed it, embraced it, applied it, would shatter the lies of the enemy. That's the hard heart. The shallow heart, or the seed that fell in the stony places, verse 20, but he who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution, notice where the persecution or tribulation comes from, arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. So the devil wants to steal the word, Okay, and if you can't steal the word, it comes into somebody's life, it's shallow. It's a picture of there's a little bit of earth, but there's rock underneath. So when the sun hits it, it germinates and springs really fast, but it has nowhere for the roots to go. They can't go down so that when the sun comes out, the roots can't go deep enough to get moisture. And because they don't have enough to get moisture, the picture is the sun is the persecution of Satan through people because you believe something about the word. There's a hockey player who has not been participating because the hockey team is doing a gay pride celebration and on their hockey sticks there's rainbow stuff on their sticks and because he's a, a Christian, a Russian Orthodox Christian, Eastern Orthodox Christian, he says, uh, I'm just gonna be true to who I am and my religion and that's all I'm gonna say about it. And he's creating a firestorm of people because here's a guy that had the, yeah. Here's a guy that had the guts to stand up. And I'm shocked. I mean, Elon Musk keeps shocking me. He comes to the guy's defense 
and says the pendulum swing has went too far. He said it has went so far that it went from the gay community wanting simply equal rights, like, you know, uh, just do whatever, we don't care, to us now having to celebrate it, that he said the commentator, a sports commentator, came out, which sports commentators are not supposed to be political. They're supposed to talk about the game. He comes out and says he should go back to Russia. I think there's a war there. Maybe he basically, Elon interpreted that, is like, we went from, hey, we want equal rights to, why don't you go die in a ditch in the Ukrainian war? Why? For one simple reason. A Christian? believed God's word, stood for God's word, and did not want to participate in something that he felt violated his conscience. And so, he's not in shallow soil, that bro. Right, the whole, wor the, the whole world's attacking him because of his Christian stand. Let me tell you, if people at the water cooler, not the entire world and social media and sports commentator, if somebody asks you something around the water cooler and there's three or four people and you know the biblical answer, do you have the guts to give the biblical answer because they're looking to you as a Christian to know what the Bible says and if they hate you because of that answer, are you going to wilt and wither? That's what the shallow soil believer does. He believes for a short time, oh, this is fun, this is great. Let's sing kumbaya together. And, oh, no. Somebody disliked me on social media because of my Bible verse. I'm throwing in the towel. I'm not walking with Jesus anymore. I've seen this through the years. These springing up, quick-believing people. I mean, in six or seven months in, they're like, Pastor, I'm going to go to ministry school. I'm going to serve God. And as soon as they go through a little hard time with their family because they believe God's word or at work or some old friends, whatever it is, they're just like, uh, oh, I, I, can't, I can't be a part of the evangelical Christian movement because you guys are so big at it. And they, they basically began to parrot what the world's telling them. You see, if the devil can't snatch the word away before you even believe it, then he's going to, when you believe it, he's going to bring on the persecution to crush you, to see if you have what it takes to survive. The third soil is among thorns. It says, Verse 22, now he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. I would say this is where the majority of Christians get the fruitfulness choked out of them in America. America is a busy place that is pursuing the American dream, accumulating wealth, chasing everything, taking their kids to, you know, <laughs> soccer practice and music lessons and just on and on. People just cram their life with so much busyness because they think that that's what a genuine, meaningful family is all about. The busier you are, that's the more fruitful. That's not the case. As soon as my life, daily, weekly, monthly, yearly, as soon as my life gets to such a busyness or my priorities are so skewed, that I begin to chase after all of these things rather than seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness and he'll add this other stuff, my life becomes inverted and unfruitful. And all that the word wanted to do inside of me, I don't have time or energy or I'm so distracted, I don't want to do it, and it just chokes it out so my life is unfruitful. And for some of us, we feel the barrenness and the drought of a soul of a busy life. 
It's a busy life. You're pursuing things. They're not, it's not like you're dealing drugs. It's not like you're uh, doing heinous sin. It's just that simply you do not have time or place or priority for Jesus in your life. And there's an unfruitfulness about your life. You might be Christian in name, but there's not a fruitfulness that's coming from your life. Each one of these things give us such revelation that the Spirit of God communicates through his word to tell us about real life. That we have a spiritual enemy, the devil who's trying to steal the word from our hearts before we even believe it. He will persecute us when we have believed the word so that he can crush the fruitfulness of our life. And if those two don't work, he's like, he just tempts us to get as busy as you possibly can. Chase as much as you can. Chase, you know, as much money. Chase as much greed. Chase as much, just be busy. Fill your life with hobbies. Fill your life with everything so that God has no room in your life. I'll never forget a couple. They used to teach Sunday school, young family, had three beautiful little kids. They were plugged in. They were walking with the Lord. And then the, the husband and wife just kind of set their eyes on the material things, and they stopped coming to church, and they just worked for the next decade to accumulate all the stuff they thought would make them happy. And now at this point, their kids are teenagers. Their kids are off the rails because they've walked away from the Lord. They've walked away from all those priorities. And they come back, and they, after t- a decade, they were so beat up and so beleaguered, and their kids were such a mess. And, and the guy just looked at me and said, I don't know what happened. I just, I woke up and a decade went by and we have all this stuff and we, we camp and boat every single weekend and, and we thought that's, you know, all that we needed and, and now none of our kids are walking with God and they're totally a mess and, and we just finally woke up, my wife and I, one day and said, man, we better get our butts back to church. We better start walking with God. Our life's a mess. Our kids are a mess, and it's our fault because we got so off track. The barrenness of a busy life that thinks that busyness or... Jesus said, one day Jesus is ministering, and this guy came. He was in a debate with his... He was in a basically a, a legal wrangling with his brother about the inheritance of the father that had passed away, which is quite common if you've ever been a part of those things. And so the brother, he, he comes to Jesus and he said, Lord, tell my brother to split the inheritance with me. Right? He wants him to be the judge of their inheritance. And Jesus said, hey, man, I'm not an arbiter over your, your inheritance, over your, your will. He said, but let me tell you this. He said, life does not consist in the abundance of one's possessions. Whenever the human heart can finally wrap your heart around that, life does not consist or it's not elevated by the abundance of our possessions. As a matter of fact, if once we have the things we need, the things we begin to add on begin to actually absorb more time and energy away from our life than we actually want. There's nothing wrong with things. Hey, you got a, you got a couple of homes, you got an RV, you got a boat. I'm, I'm, God bless you. That's great. And if you can manage all that and keep Jesus first, that's the important thing. And if not, Man, if you've got to sell something or quit something or give something up to get Jesus back at the center of your life, let me tell you, it will be the most important good decision you're ever going to make in your life. Absolutely. So, <laughs> 
These are the things that can choke out the fruitfulness. So now we get to the, the, the good ground. Okay, this is soil. I mean, <laughs> the devil doesn't get this seed. He doesn't snatch it away so they don't believe. He doesn't persecute it away. He doesn't fill their life with a busy greediness that squishes them into an unfruitful, barren place. It says in verse 23, but he who receives seed on the good ground is he who hears the word. So you hear the word, you understand it, you comprehend it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some hundredfold, some 60, some 30. If I have a grain of wheat and I plant it in the ground in good soil, and it gets sunshine, and it gets rain, and the soil's good, it's going to bring up a head, and that head's going to have 30, 60, 100 heads of grain on it. So from one seed, I can produce 30, 60, 100-fold. And so in a spiritual illustration, when I hear God's word and I pie God's word, the harvest is exponentially more than what I'm, the, the thing that I'm embracing. So the good soil is simply a, a responsive heart. God said this, I believe it, I'm gonna apply it to my life. God said this, I believe it, I'm gonna apply it to my life. And God's word, you never get, there, you can never exhaust this. I don't care, I've been walking with the Lord now for uh, 38 years, and it never stops because you know what happens is I, I let off being obedient in some of the things that I was doing, and then I, I go, oh man, yeah, Lord, thank you. Because the Christian life, if you discovered it, it's not a straight line from the day I got saved right here to Jesus at the finish line. It's not just this straight line of perfect obedience. There might be somebody here, I don't know who they are, that has accomplished that. I don't know. For me, it's more like, you know, I'm, I'm heading that way. And I say that to, to let you know, in our humanness, we stumble and fall and we get distracted and we get off track. And it's easy to get waylaid, isn't it? It's easy to make things are not the priority, the priority. And when that happens, then I find, hey, how come I, you see, you know what the fruit of the Spirit is? The fruit of the Spirit is actually this quality of life of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control that as I'm sowing to the Spirit, as I'm hearing the Spirit of God's teaching me God's Word, and I understand it and I apply it, what, what happens is the elevation of joy and love and peace is elevated in my life. But when I get off track, and now I'm not hearing God's word, and I'm not understanding what I am discovering, and I'm not applying it to my life, what happens is it's like it, there's this reservoir of my joy begins to diminish, my love begins to diminish, my, my peace begins to diminish. Have you discovered this? So I'm really close to the Lord in the word and prayer, and I'm like, man, I just, I don't know, life's just good. My outward circumstances haven't changed. Nothing on the outside changed. But my love, joy, and peace has elevated. So this is the ebb and flow of the Christian life that people don't get. This is, this, this is the mystery, the secret to the kingdom of God that you can have this quality of life and it is on nobody but you. Well, I'm miserable and it's my wife's fault. It's the woman the Lord gave to me. Now, Adam said that, and it's been being given ever since, right? Vice versa. It's this husband. If I wasn't married to this husband, right? do you know that nobody is responsible for the level of love, joy, and peace in your life but you? Nobody. 
Now, if you look to them to be, and you have an expectation that they are responsible, you have a misplaced expectation on a person that was never designed to fulfill you in that way. It is impossible for another person to fill you up with love, joy, and peace, patience, and kindness, and goodness, and gentleness, and faithfulness, and self-control. Only God can do that. That's the mystery of the kingdom. That's why the world out there with all of their money and all their billionaire, you know, all their followers on Instagram, I don't care what you got going on. The only person that can fill up your life with love, joy, and peace is God. But through hearing his word, understanding his word, and applying his word, my life begins to elevate. It actually transcends. You know, transcend means to rise above the norm. So my life goes, here's the, the mediocre life. And as I do those things, my life begins to transcend in quality. Amen? That's just the way it works. It's the way it works. There's no, there's no other way around it. There's not, there's not some shortcut. This is, the, this is the shortcut. This is the way for it to happen. And as I become fruitful, 30, 60, 100 fold, I actually begin to touch other people with God's love, joy, and peace. And as I touch them and I sow into them with seeds, like I am here tonight, like if there's a hundred, over 100 of us here tonight, and we get to share this, and then that fruitfulness, what I discovered in my life, I get to share with others. And what you discover in your life, you get to share with your family and your coworkers. And, and if you have a Bible study or wherever it is, you begin to share with others. And you know what? People love to be around others that are filled with love, joy, and peace because you're a blessing. The opposite is not such a blessing. That person's not very loving. They're always stressed out, and they have no joy. They're just a critical, bickering, bitter, resentful person. You're like, oh, I just want to hang out with you. I just want to come home and have dinner at night with you. I'm going to go on vacation with you. You think so? You think I want anything to do with that? Does anybody else want anything to do with that? That's all on you. Nobody can change your life but you in your personal relationship with Jesus. It's nobody else's fault. It's not the boss's fault. It's not your spouse's fault. It's not your puppy's fault that's peeing and pooping all over the house. It's all on you. But humans are experts at deflecting, like, that's coming towards me. People tell me after a service like this, they're going, oh, I wish George was here. He should have heard this message. I'm like, well, I don't know George, but you were here. No offense. If you're George here tonight, no offense. Well, I guess you are here for the message, George. You made it. Way to go. Good job. And I want you to know why the mysteries of the kingdom are so life-changing, just personally, in my life. And they will change your life, and they change the disciples' life. They will change anybody's life who is willing to hear, understand, apply, and enjoy, and reap the incredible harvest of tapping into it. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you have let us in on the family secret of how your family works in a relationship with you. And Lord, we... We pray that you would forgive us for our hardness of heart, for our resistance to your word.
our our stubbornness. Lord, you told David that you wanted to guide him with your eye, just in the most gentle way you wanted to guide him with just a look of your eye. And you told him not to be like the horse or the donkey, that he had to put a bridle in their mouth, the horse that's always trying to get ahead of God's will, the donkey that's always resisting God's will. And, and Lord, you, you told David, don't be like the horse. Don't be like the donkey. Just, I want to guide you with my eye in a gentle way. And Lord, I pray that you would direct our hearts tonight in a gentle way. I pray that you would awaken us to the, the truth and the mystery of the kingdom of God. Lord, you're so good. Thank you for loving us enough to share with us these things, Jesus, so that our life might transcend the humdrum, the difficulties, and enjoy your quality of life, the abundant life. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to encourage you, if you need prayer for anything, the prayer team is going to be down here. They'd love to pray for you, minister to you, lay hands on you. If you need a touch of healing, they'll anoint you with oil, pray for you. Maybe you want to give your life to Christ. Maybe you want to start this journey and tap into things. Maybe you just want somebody to talk to and share with. You know, the Bible says, confess your sins one to another and pray for each other that you might be healed. Sometimes we just need somebody to talk to and say, man, I've just been off track. Would you pray with me? I've been off track. Help me out. So let's stand together. We're going to worship this closing song. And if you need prayer, come on up to the front. Lord, bless you guys. May the Lord continue to have his hand upon you as you walk with him. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for the sacrifice that you made on the cross. We thank you that, Lord, you've given us soft hearts. Lord, we thank you that our, our hearts only, only by your grace Lord, are ready to accept you. Lord, I pray that if there's any distractions in this room, in people's lives, that, Lord, you would convict us. Show us what those things are. Show me what, what that is in my life, Holy Spirit, that I may draw closer and nearer to you. You draw closer and nearer to us. We love you. We praise you. We worship you in Jesus' mighty name. All God's people said, amen. Amen. I see the light in the darkness. I won't hope for the hopeless. And rest for the weary mile And you've got truth for the taking But my heart won't be shaken If today be the day that I die Whoa, 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 whoa And I won't worry about tomorrow Or fear in times of trouble I keep my heart seeking you. Oh, I will keep my heart seeking you. Whoa, oh, 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 whoa,
times of trouble I'll keep my heart seeking you I will keep my heart seeking